0: More often than not, it's apostrophes being put in where they don't belong that are the problem.
1: Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryant, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Well, hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Let's talk some more about apostrophes. We've been talking about apostrophes on the last two episodes of the podcast. And believe it or not, we still have plenty of things to cover on this topic. Where do you want to start today?
0: Well, we didn't get to one of the main ones, which is contractions.
1: Well, right. That's right. We talked a lot about possessives. Um... We talked a lot about typesetting apostrophes too back in the first episode.
0: Right,
1: the guy got kind of convoluted and crazy sounding. But uh, what about contractions? What do we say about that?
0: Well, I introduced this whole topic by talking about the fact that apostrophes stand for letters that are taken out, <laughs> and uh, explained how that applied to the history of possessives. But the obvious thing is with contractions, and a, a familiar one is. Cannot turns into can't, C-A-N, apostrophe T. Will not turns into won't. We're is W-E-R-E, stands for we are. The A is replaced with an apostrophe. And, of course, the famous one we discussed at the beginning, which is the one that bothers the most people and causes the most problems, I-T apostrophe S, where it is the omitted i. Is replaced by an apostrophe now what's interesting about these four examples and there are more of course is that all of these are actually legitimate words if you leave the apostrophe out but they mean something quite different i like can't is a fairly rare word that has to do with certain kinds of language um it has a meaning about um oh Certain kinds of slang that are used in certain professions or social settings, usually pretty low class, but it also can mean um, sort of pretentious religious language or ideas that uh, a person thinks is hypocritical. And then, won't, of course, W-N-T is also won't, as in he was wont to take his dog for a walk every afternoon. That is, he was accustomed to. Again, not a word that we use a lot in American English. But um, were, of course, the past tense of are. Um, and it's, of course. ITS, it's, is the possessive. People are always tempted to put that apostrophe in there when they shouldn't. The problem is that people are used to using apostrophes for possessives. And. They don't think about its as being any different, and they put an apostrophe in. There's a tendency to put apostrophes in all kinds of words that end in S sometimes, but its is particularly vulnerable to this.
1: Now, just before we move on to the next part, um, the word won't jumps out at me a little bit because even though we have a missing letter in the N-O-T, we're substituting the apostrophe for the O in not— We're also changing the word will to just W-O.
0: Yes. The usual explanation for that is that there's a dialect from "wool," Wollnott, W-O-L-L. I don't know if that's true, but I've seen that in fairly authoritative sources. Mm,
1: mm -hmm. Okay.
0: So it's something that evolved pretty early, and uh, its origins are kind of stuck.
1: And now just to go back to our discussion too of these contractions the missing letters and so on all these words that we're talking about what we generally do is we take two words and we turn them into a single word right so you take a word like um won't you're taking will and not and you're turning it into a single word won't w-o-n apostrophe t but there are certain cases like cannot is actually uh spelled as one word right. and it's preferred to be one word. Right. now people often split that up into two words
0: yeah i think you should do that only when you're being really emphatic no you cannot put the cat in the dryer
1: exactly yeah almost like when you want to italicize the knot or, or put it in all caps or something but uh it's generally would be preferred to be one word and you just have to memorize some of these things
0: there are other uses too for the apostrophe in contractions. An interesting one historically is the word lightning, which started out as lightening. And um that makes a lot of sense. And then people began to leave out that central E when you pronounced it, it tended to come out lightning instead of lightning, although it was still spelled lightning. And so for a while people would put an apostrophe in to mark the missing E. And then uh, when it got really standardized in pronunciation, the apostrophe died out. Now we don't use it anymore.
1: Yes, and lightning is still used as a word. Right. But lightning, when you're talking about the phenomenon of thunder thunder and lightning, thunder and lightning, or when you're talking about lightning bugs, (laughs) those are used without the E. But in older texts, you will see that apostrophe pop up, and it may cause you to wonder, what's wrong? Is this a mistake in the typesetting or something? No, it's just that that was the way it used to go. I
0: think there's quite a bit of that uh, use of apostrophe for silent vowels and words in the 19th century. Uh, I can't think of a lot of other examples right at the moment, but you certainly See, it's a transitional stage that words go through as they get compressed.
1: Sure. And down the road, we might see some of these words that show up as contractions now. There may be a drop into the apostrophe. I don't know. I can't predict that.
0: Well, when you're trying to render colloquial speech, when somebody is leaving out letters, you can also use an apostrophe like, I ain't going.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
0: people frequently drop the final G on I N G words. And if you're trying to render that sound in writing, then you'd put an apostrophe in place of the G politicians love to do this. They think it makes them sound more like the common people. And uh, actually Obama (laughs) frequently leaves the G's off the ends of his words. Um, so it's a very common pattern,
1: right? Yes. And, um, uh, it's used by politicians to sound folksy or to sound down-to-earth. Um, but uh, you pointed out to me that Obama's been criticized Yes. for using this kind of diction.
0: He's otherwise so well-spoken.
1: Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it sticks out, I guess, in his case, um, as here he is sounding very well-spoken or very very well educated um, the way he is and so on, but he'll hit the end of a word, an ING word, and drop the G sound and it'll set people on edge, I guess. Speaking the language of the people or the pronunciation of the people or anything to bring a politician down to earth, I think that game is pretty well established by now. And, for example, to the extent that Trump, the extremely wealthy, you know, born into riches politician now, Um, to the extent that he has any popularity at all, and he doesn't seem like he has much, doesn't seem like his campaign is doing too well now, but to the extent he has popularity, it's because of this, because he speaks down in the language of the people and tries to get down on their level. So
0: I'm not sure he has to try. He just doesn't seem to have a very big vocabulary.
1: (laughs) Well... (laughs) You know, it's sometimes hard to tell exactly what's going on. Uh, But, you know, George W. Bush did this extremely well, too. Now, whether that was the same phenomenon of really not having a very large vocabulary in that case either... I'm not too sure about any of these people, but I do know that um, sometimes it will come off as an affectation, and it will seem a little bit odd and jarring, and other times it will seem like, well, that's just the way the person talks.
0: Well, you know, in Bush's case... He actually had a pretty large vocabulary, but much of it was invented on the spot. <laughs> but yeah. he was from a New England wealthy family, and he wanted to present himself uh, to the world as a bushwhacking Texan rough guy. So I think he used that kind of uh, folksy dialect to try to take some of the polish off of his background. Mm-hmm. In Obama's case, I mean, the question arises, is he doing this to identify whether with African-American dialect. And that was, of course, a big challenge early in his political career. There were a lot of critics from the African-American community who considered him not black enough. They got over that mostly uh, after a while. Um, I don't know whether he would have made that, but I think the criticisms of him dropping the G's have sort of a racial tone to them they come from white people who are thinking that he sounds too black and therefore not well educated and so on. So I think there's a a racial bias factor that comes in there. But when you listen to him speak, I don't hear him straining to do a dialect. I think that maybe is just natural. Remember, he was a, a community organizer. So he would have spent a lot of time talking to people door to door, working with ordinary folks. He loves the word folks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Most politicians do. And um, I think that just must be the the way he speaks. And it doesn't any uh, pretentious attempt to seem unpretentious.
1: Yes, I'm sure there's a racial angle to this, too. I believe you and I trust you on that. But I also think that the criticism is disingenuous because to complain about Obama, especially when he is, of all of our recent presidents, you know, among the most articulate, certainly in my lifetime. (laughs) um you know we've had a lot of presidents in recent times uh reagan and george hw bush himself who really had to fight against sounding too too Hmm. (laughs) well-bred and uh clinton of course coming from the south uh all of his speech sounded very natural but kind of southern and more of the people in that way
0: and hillary tries to adopt some of his dialect sometimes too she'll drop her g's
1: yeah i mean here we have a string of presidents and i don't hear people criticizing them for talking down to the people or rendering um you know folksy folksisms what did you say what's the word i'm looking for
0: not certainly as much as uh, Obama, and for the most part, Obama expects you to be pretty smart. Uh, he's not uh, somebody who simplifies his language to an extreme degree. By the way, while we're mentioning Trump, <laughs> this is in the news. Have you been following the big controversy over Bigley?
1: Oh, sure. Um well, I mean, it's been going on for a while.
0: Well, people kept saying uh, he's saying that something is going on bigly and what an ignorant, stupid thing to say. And then linguists began analyzing it and taking recordings and slowing him down and looking at his previous speeches and writings and so on. And they're convinced now that he's actually saying big league, but he doesn't pronounce the final G very strongly.
1: Oh, 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 oh big league.
0: Uh Yeah, he's doing it like where most people would say big time. Mm -hmm. uh, He's winning big time.
1: Yeah, or major league.
0: He says he's winning big league to major league player. But usually you don't put big league after the word that it's modifying.
1: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, there's another dropped G. So uh, Obama's got his stop complaining, stop grumbling, stop crying, and uh, Trump has his big league. (laughs) Right. So... Dropping G's all over the place. Uh, That's interesting. But the word bigly uh, in itself, people have commented, of course, on that as being, yes, certainly non-standard, his own invented kind of word. But if he's actually saying big league, that puts a new twist on it.
0: There's also a problem on signs see frequently where they put the apostrophe in the wrong place Uh, when you're using a plural noun for instance restrooms are for customers use only the apostrophe should come after the s in customers because it's all customers if you put it customer apostrophe s then it sounds like there's just this one customer that gets the private bathroom
1: yes and that goes back to uh, what we were talking about to create the plural possessive Right. You have to write the whole word with the S on the end also, and then add that apostrophe there at the end. Right.
0: Customers, by the way, often gets misspelled, not usually on signs, although I've seen it that way, but in other writing as costumers.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. Hey, that's in the book. Uh, customer, costumer. Yes. <laughs> and uh, your spelling checker won't get that one either, will it? Because a costumer is actually a thing.
0: Right. A person. Yeah. So more often than not, it's apostrophes being put in where they don't belong that is the problem. And the simple plurals is one that we've talked about. Um, and we see that especially on menus and signs in restaurants and uh, grocery stores and stuff. But it's common on all kinds of signs. Uh, nachos, for instance, N-A-C-H-O apostrophe S is not right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No apostrophe. And what amazes me and always amazes me when I see it is that when you're got a sign with several plural nouns on it and only some of them have the apostrophe S, like apples spelled correctly without apostrophe and avocados with an apostrophe before the S. Now, how did the person decide that that other word needed the apostrophe and apples didn't?
1: That's a mystery because, um, if you literally wrote apples and avocados with an apostrophe S at the end, there's clearly no noun to be possessed after the avocado, <laughs> right? If, if anything, you might think, well, the apostrophe might show up earlier in that statement. But uh, apples and av- avocados, maybe somebody has it in mind that uh, the final plural noun gets a possessive, who knows?
0: Well, my wife and I both have a tendency When we come across those two If they're on a chalkboard or something Just wipe out the
1: apostrophe <laughs> Okay, <laughs> well Making it easier on the rest of us
0: uh Now, there is another use for apostrophes, which is quite controversial. People get very heated about this, and there's not a good way to be correct because you're going to get criticized and frowned at no matter which choice you make. And that's when you are using letters or numbers as words. And a famous example would be, learn your ABCs. Now, that's a plural right Mm. your abc's is your alphabet um most people would put an apostrophe in before the s it's a plural it's not a possessive and yet they put in an apostrophe and that is partly because there's this discomfort of a letter just a letter acting as if it were a word and there's a need for something else in there um I don't know when this first started, but it's certainly a very long time ago and very well established. I would say far more people do this than don't. It also applies to numbers, especially dates back in the 1920s, apostrophe S usually. Now, most language critics, including me say you don't need that apostrophe. You can do just fine. So, um, I usually don't put it in, but I'm very aware when I do that, that I'm in the minority. And some people are going to look at that and say, why didn't he put the apostrophe in? I think you're more likely to get flack or at least hesitant readings from uh, leaving the apostrophe out than putting it in. So it's one of those cases where I say, go whatever feels right to you. Unless, of course, you really want to appeal to a particular audience that has particular preferences.
1: Now, uh, there was a blog post that I wrote years ago um, talking about this phenomenon. I was arguing that very often, more often than we might like, the apostrophe really, you kind of need it as a visual separator. Mm -hmm. And um, even though it makes no sense, there's no logic to it. I wound up that blog post talking about a sample sentence, A's are harder to get than C's, and this was a perfect example of how the apostrophe could really help you out, because uh, if somebody starts reading that sentence, and logically speaking, there's no need for an apostrophe. A's, plural of A, should be A-S, and the plural of C should be C-S. However, uh, the word as itself is a word.
0: Mm-hmm. And when it begins a sentence where it's going to be capitalized anyway, you're particularly liable to read that as as.
1: Yeah, somebody's going to read that and stumble and say as are harder to get. What is the Wait, I'm lost. What are they talking about? Well, uh, if you stick the apostrophe in right off the bat, everybody's going to get it right. So A's are harder to get than C's. Well, once you've stuck the apostrophe there after the A between the A and the S, you're really in a bind. You have to put the apostrophe in between the C and the S also. So uh, it's a useful tool. And as you say, uh, you have to allow yourself, you have to give yourself permission to stick that in when you need to.
0: Yeah. Um, ICBMs uh, is another example I think I used. Um, and I think with letters, I tend to use the apostrophe more than I do with numbers. But uh, if you're talking about arithmetic, you know, put it in the tens place often people would put an apostrophe in and that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah well that's right with the numbers it would be really hard you really would could stumble um in general though rbis uh rpms if you're just using those on their own and you're putting the s on to pluralize it uh probably best to leave the apostrophe out
0: well um Then there's another little twist here. I gave the example of back in the 1920s with an apostrophe. But if you're not going to say 1920s, but just 20s, because we're coming up pretty fast on the 2020s. um, If you're saying back in the 20s, technically, if you're going to use an apostrophe after the number, you should use one before, too, to indicate that you've left off the 19. Mm, But Very few people do that, although I just read a few days ago in the New York Times an example, so they're still very aware of that. So it was apostrophe 20, apostrophe S, and that's one of those examples where you need to know how to make a leading apostrophe, which we discussed in
1: the first episode. Exactly. Go back to the first episode. We talked all about typography and setting that leading apostrophe, but um, I also mentioned in that first episode one of your own blog posts um that's one of the most popular ones we talked about the possessive apostrophe his origin but do you know what blog post of yours is more popular than that one no people look this up they google it and they land on your blog post and it's Is it Roaring Twenties or Roaring (laughs) Twenties? And so Uh let's put up a link to that one, too, which talks about that very phenomenon, about using numerical representation with an apostrophe S or without an apostrophe S.
0: Yeah. um, You know, you mentioned RBIs, and um, let's go back to that a bit because there's an interesting phenomenon that's going on there. Um, The R is the plural word. It's Runs right oh oh yes yes and yet the apostrophe is coming at the end of the initialism so it's runs batted in but we're putting apostrophe so there's some people that get really agitated about this and say you shouldn't be putting that in there you shouldn't even have the s because the s should come after the letter that stands for runs and so they want people to write capital r small s capital b i well that's crazy mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Just not the way it's done. It's not standard. And there's other examples of that, too. WMDs, weapons of mass destruction. Weapons is the plural word, but the S still comes at the end of the initialism. POWs, prisoners of war. MREs, meals ready to eat. And RPMs, revolutions per minute. Um, So POWs, MREs, and RPMs, usually you don't find an apostrophe. They're just pluralized. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. They want to have the S after the RPM and after the MRE. Yeah, it would be really, really odd to put a lowercase s after, uh, if you're talking about RPMs, RSPM or any of these. It's almost like when you use the initialism, the initialism becomes the word that you're using. And if you want to make it plural, just stick the S on the end of that. Nobody says Wsmd.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, another thing about RPM, when you're in technical settings, mostly people will say 20 RPM. No need to pluralize it at all because the R already has the plural in it. It's concealed because it's abbreviated. Revolutions. So you don't really need to add the S. So uh, some people who work a lot with RPMs might be more impressed with your language if you just said RPM. But I don't think either one is likely to really cause a problem.
1: Sure. If you said 78 RPM versus 78 RPMs, it actually sounds pretty natural to say 78 RPM. But, you know, I never did get used to, uh, in baseball statistics, I never did get used to saying, you know, twenty eight RBI versus twenty-eight RBIs. Yeah. I never did get used to that and I'm happy to see that uh, most people have dropped that little I almost think of it as an affectation, an over hyper correction to not put the S at the end of RBI. But RPMs for some reason has a an RPM for some reason has a, a little bit different history, a little bit different tradition.
0: You know, we were talking just a minute ago about leading apostrophes. Another example um, which goes back to poetry in earlier language from uh, Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. Twas brillig and the slidey toes did gyre and gimble in the waves, or is it gyre and gimble? Anyway, twas, it was, the I is omitted, so you put a leading apostrophe before the T, twas. And, of course, an even more famous one, twas the night before Christmas.
1: Yes, right.
0: So um there are occasions where you need a leading apostrophe there. One that some people suggest is till, apostrophe till, because they say, look, till is just an abbreviation for until you need to put the apostrophe there to stand for the missing un, not true. This is kind of interesting. What originally occurred is the spelling of this word for over 800 years, and it's actually Older than the word until. Till is fine on its own. It began without an apostrophe. It doesn't need an apostrophe now.
1: But you have to remember it's T-I-L-L, whereas until does not have a double L. It's just one L. As far as I know, the word till, T-I-L-L, is the old version, and until with just one L is the new version. That's true. I think people who want to write it with an apostrophe, then T-I-L are just, well, I guess in that case, you would be dropping the U and the N, but that's just not the way it goes. It should just be T-I-L-L if you're using the word till, and U-N-T-I-L if you're using the word until.
0: Another interesting one that turns up, and I've had people write to me about this, is um, in the use of apostrophes in the abbreviated form of and, so if you have a restaurant ad and you're advertising big and juicy burgers and you want to spell it big mm, juicy instead of big and juicy, uh, most people do put an apostrophe in at the end of the end, but there should be one at the beginning, too, because there's not only a D left off at the end, there's an A left off at the beginning. You don't see that very often, but logically, they both need to be there and mcdonald's has a registered trademark big and tasty with big capital and apostrophe tasty so if you were quoting mcdonald's you got to go with their practice Mm
1: -hmm. yeah well that's one of those that i wonder if they had a do-over if they might fix that but who knows Uh, Maybe they researched that thoroughly and they decided that if they put the two apostrophes in, people would think they were just being too sophisticated or something. I don't know.
0: And we talked a few minutes ago about the dropping the G on the end of words and indicating that by an apostrophe. Um, But it's interesting that there are other kinds of uh, ways of rendering speech that require an apostrophe, too. Here's a line from an Elvis Presley song. Got a lot of living to do. Now, the livin' has an apostrophe after livin', but got a lot, not of, but a uh, livin'. Mm-hmm. O apostrophe, that's the way it's written in the lyrics. Or uh, the familiar Irish greeting, top of the mornin' to you. So you get an apostrophe after mornin' because there's no G, but you also need an apostrophe after the O, top of the morning, Top of the morning.
1: And for people who like to take it another step sometimes you'll see people forget about the o apostrophe and change that to just an uh (laughs) the letter a you'll see this in very informal texting or very informal emails or something rather than type the o apostrophe they'll just type an uh (laughs) if they're trying to be very folksy
0: yeah there's one more fairly rare instance where you need apostrophes, and that is in rendering foreign languages like Arabic. You have to indicate a glottal stop. Uh, Quran q-u-r-apostrophe-a-n if you're old-fashioned you're going to go k-o-r-a-n if you want to show that you're current and trying to imitate what people who are actually muslims do you're more likely to write q-u-r-apostrophe-a-n and the apostrophe is there to make a little hiccup sort of in the middle of the word Quran. and the kaaba which is usually pronounced in in the news is just Kaaba, kaaba It's between the K-A apostrophe A-B-A, which is the shrine in the middle of Mecca, which people process around when they go on the Hajj. Also, of course, in Irish names like O'Connor, O'Brien, O'Keefe. And there, the O stands for something in Irish that means son of. Mm -hmm. So this is somebody that's a descendant of... (laughs) keef the first first one would have been a Keefe, and the rest were O'Keefe's, i guess
1: you're right yeah
0: so i think that's about enough for apostrophes
1: well i think that's good and uh, anybody who wants to know more has a very thorough rundown in your book the common errors in english usage book has apostrophes covered all of these are covered top to bottom i think all in that entry so go look in there too
0: all right talk to you next time
1: That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.